Matthew 28, 5 through 6. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. And he is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Ephesians 1, 18 to 21. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know that the hope with, with ooh, which he has called you, the riches and, the, and his glorious inheritance and the holy people and in a, <clears throat> sorry, and com- comparably great power for, for us to believe that the power is the same as the mighty strength he entered or exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and domination, and every name that is involved not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Jesus, we celebrate the gift of your resurrection, resurrected life, as it points us to your mighty strength and power. You are risen. You are our risen Savior and Lord over all. We bless your name that is above every name. We thank you for filling us with, with hope as you desire us to know and receive the inheritance and the power that is given to those who believe in you. Lord, I'd like to thank you for, for all the blessings uh, that we all will receive. Lord, and I'd like to just thank you for uh, giving your life for us, that uh, we may be able to live in you and be with you, Lord, in heaven. So, Lord, I'd like to just, just thank you very much. And I do all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're going to be in Luke 24 this morning. Continuing our sermon series in Luke. So Luke 24, verses 1 to 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then 
they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. This is God's word. And friends, this is a message of hope this morning. Some of you have asked about this juxtaposition, this um, contrast between being in the Advent Easter season and us being in this place in Luke of looking at his death and burial and the Easter message of his resurrection. You know, you've been like, how, how is it that we're kind of putting this, what seems like a little bit of an odd combination together? But I believe the Lord in all of his sovereignty had us start this Luke series about two years ago. We've taken a few pauses, and somehow or another in his sovereignty, he has this beautiful combination for us to look at. I was um, reading something about novelists and how they write stories. And if you're a good novelist, you don't start your first word until you know how the end of the story is going to turn out. And God is the Alpha and the Omega. He knew the whole story. And for us to be able to understand the goodness of Jesus' birth at Christmas, we need to understand the full story of Jesus' life, his purpose. Why did he come? We need hope. We need hope. And I, even as we listen to the prayers during family prayer, it's obvious. We need hope. Yesterday... Two sweet little girls, Ellie and Brooklyn, went to their first funeral up in Alpena. Their great-grandpa passed away. What do those parents have to offer those children? Do they have a message of hope, or do they just try to avoid the situation or maybe distract them? If they just say, Girls, Christmas is coming, and if the girls get the message that Christmas is presents and good food, as soon as the good food is gone, or as soon as their new toy breaks, where's the hope in that? But if they can say, Jesus came and we're getting ready to celebrate his birth, and because Jesus came and died on the cross and was raised again, we can have the hope of seeing great-grandpa again. We need the hope that comes with Christmas and the full story all the way up through the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension, and we're going to look at that resurrection a little bit more. We need hope because in this life, we do have sorrows. Why do we have sorrows? Why do we have pain? Why do we even have death? Well, the wages of sin is death. 
And when God created the earth, there was perfect relationship, and we weren't going to face death, except that sin entered. And when sin entered, then all the sadness and the brokenness and the consequences of our sin. And that's why Jesus, that we're getting ready to celebrate his nativity, his coming, we needed a Savior to be born. Jesus comes and he's born and he, we've spent two years at least, two years, right? Um, yes, can I get an amen? We've been in Luke a long time. Yeah, and so we've been watching. And what did Jesus do when he came? He started to um, teach and he started to heal and he started to cast out demons. And people started to see the hope of the kingdom of God entering this broken world. And hope started to rise in them. And then all of a sudden, it was like the death of hope. When these people, we get familiar with this story. I want you to go back and think. They don't know the whole story yet. They're reading the novel, so to speak. And they're in this place where Jesus, their hope of the kingdom and of things turning around and not being so sad and not being so devastating. And all of a sudden, their Jesus that they love so much died on that cross and was absolutely, definitely dead. That's why the author starts to say these women had followed Jesus from the time of Galilee, from the very beginning. They are the ones that followed when Jesus was put in the tomb. They followed There were eyewitnesses. He was really dead. These women loved him, and they knew he was dead. And they come with these spices because they're expecting dead Jesus, and they're going to bring those spices. So there was a death of hope, and the disciples are struggling. Those that had followed Jesus are struggling because this hope that they had seen with these good things that Jesus had done all of a sudden seemed to be quenched out, to be extinguished. They were grieving. What does grief look like? What does it sound like? What does it feel like? When you're grieving, your head's in a fog. You can't think straight. You don't feel like getting up in the morning. You wonder why. You feel lonely. You just bust out in tears for no reason. When we read this story, we need to remember that those disciples were grieving. They were desperately, desperately grieving. Those women that were going to the tomb were in absolute anguish. And yet they love Jesus. And so they start to move forward with these these, um, spices to help the body not stinketh. I believe you reminded us of the King James Right When a body would die, then it would stink. And so they were there right after the Sabbath, first thing, early in the morning, to encounter dead Jesus, to bring these, these spices to help the body not stink. But they were grieving. I wonder, they did notice the stone was gone, but I wonder in their fog, if they were just kind of on autopilot, like we could just have to go. But boy, when they got in there and the body was gone then all of a sudden they do notice. There's two kinds of wondering. If you notice in this text, um, it uses the word wondering two times. The women were wondering, 
And Peter was wondering. And I want to show you the difference because in our English Bible, same word. In the Greek, it's two different words. So the women, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, while they were perplexed, while they were bewildered, they were confused with anxiety, they did not know what to do. They came in expecting dead Jesus, and they don't find him, and they are anxious. They are fearful. What has happened? What has happened? What is going on? Where is our dead Jesus? Friends, if there's no hope, things seem dismal, and you're just expecting the worst. Where is he? What's happened What's going on? Things are looking horrible. And these women are extremely anxious and fearful. And you see their reaction when the angels appear. Now I want to contrast that with when Peter, Peter hears the women tell the story and to explain. And when Peter hears, he goes... And when Peter, he went away wondering, after he had been in and saw those linen cloths, he was wondering to himself what had happened. Now, this is a different kind of wondering. This Greek word means he was in awe or adoration or amazement. He may not understand it, but he's expecting something good. And it's the same kind of word like you might wonder, you might be in amazement over a piece of artwork. And you stand there and you look at it and it gets richer and fuller. Or you go to, anybody ever been out to Lake Michigan to watch the sunset? Have you seen how people just line up and come in and they're expecting something beautiful? They're hoping for something wonderful. And they're taking it in as it comes. They don't know what the sunset's going to look like, but they have a good idea and they're hopeful. And this is the kind of expectation and hope that Peter approaches an empty grave with. He's not feeling fearful and anxious. He's feeling expectant, expectant of something good. Because Peter, remember, he knew that Jesus' words, when Jesus said something was going to happen, it happened. When Jesus told Peter he was going to deny him, it actually had happened. And I believe that's why Peter jumps up when the women explain that, you know, actually Jesus had been telling us from long ago that he had to die, he was going to be crucified, and on the third day he was raised. And I think Peter was like, he's raised. I've got to go and check this out. And so that's the difference. So Peter also was saying, what's going on? But instead it was, instead of where is our dead Jesus, he's going, where is the living Jesus? When there's hope, things aren't so dismal, even though it may still be perplexing and you don't understand rationally how it works or how it's going to turn out, but there's hope. Can you feel the difference between the two kinds of wonderings, the two kinds of approaching the same situation? Hope is resurrected when Jesus is raised from the dead. The angel said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. 
He is risen. Jesus is risen. And as soon as those words, you know, the Lord creates, right? When he speaks, things come forth. And so when this, when he's, they say he is living, why are you looking among the dead? He is living. He has risen. All of a sudden, it's creating faith because faith comes over the words that have been spoken. Now, what does Jesus' resurrection mean for us? You, you heard a little bit last week. I don't remember which catechism question and answer we read. Do you remember? It was one. Oh, all right. What is our only hope in life and in death, right? Okay. This one is another catechism, another historical teaching of the church. And I'm going to read this question in yellow. And I want us to read out loud um, the answer together, okay? How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? So let's all together answer. First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are already raised to new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection. Three things, three benefits that are highlighted. One is that the righteousness of Christ gets applied to us. Our sins are forgiven. When Jesus was raised, that payment was paid in full, and his holiness gets applied to us. So his righteousness, we share in Jesus' righteousness. The second benefit, we have a new life now. We're not waiting until Jesus comes back for heaven. Tommy, you have a new life now. The new life, Terry, started the day that you accepted Jesus Christ. Chess, new life now. Amen. All right? So we are not bound anymore. Before we were in Christ, we were bound to sin, and we had to keep sinning, and we kept sinning because it's total depravity, if you know what I mean. All right? So now we have a new life. Now we have the Holy Spirit who helps us and guides us. Scripture says the Holy Spirit's going to be our guide. And so we have a new life now. Jesus, in last week's sermon, Jesus breathed out his spirit... And then when he sends the Holy Spirit into his believers, we have a new life now with the Holy Spirit, Jesus' Spirit, living in us, helping us make choices that are in line with the kingdom of God, with love, with goodness. All right? Third benefit is that we have the same hope that Jesus had when he was dead, very dead, right? He was very dead. He was dead. There were plenty of witnesses. He is raised to new life. So what is the hope for those sweet little girls when they stand by great-grandpa's casket? Is it someday, because great-grandpa is a believer in Jesus, he is going to be bodily raised to life. Fear of death stops because Jesus was raised from the dead. And all of us who are in Christ will be raised together. There will be that returning of the way that things were always supposed to be, that happily ever after that we actually want. And we know when it's wrong, and that's why we lament it so much. That's why it's so sad when things aren't going right in this earth. 
It's the consequences of sin and death. But Jesus came to overcome it. He came to bring us hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, joyful hope. Hope gets stirred. Hope returns in the resurrection of Jesus. And there's this coming awake to hope. You see, the angels had to explain it. There was this, there was this mindset of death and despair. And so they had heard Jesus say he was going to be resurrected. But the angels say, remember what he said. And suddenly, Tommy, wake up. I'm telling you, you're going to understand the word of God. But even the disciples that followed Jesus, that knew him completely, they had to have it explained to them too. We need discipleship. We need somebody to come along and help us understand because when we continue to teach and explain the word of God, all of a sudden those promises, it starts to make sense because the Lord puts faith on top of those words and all of a sudden we understand. He brings understanding to us. And so the angel said, remember, remember how he told you these things. Remember. And then they remembered. And what happens? They believed That is faith. They believed and then they went and told. Because when you believe the good news that Jesus is risen, it is such good news. When you believe that your sin isn't binding you to death anymore, but that you have a new life in Christ, that you can live differently, that you can have the hope of resurrection, ah, you can't keep it to yourself. We can't keep it to ourselves, church. We have to tell the good news. And so there's a coming awake to hope. Mary And these others had the first Easter sermon. It compels you to go tell that good news. Now that first Easter sermon had mixed responses. Did that mean that they weren't doing a good job of bringing the message? No. It means that some of us are a little slower in waking up. And so Peter dares to hope. He already, he's jumping up and running to go check it out. Where is Jesus He's really alive? Yes, let's go see this. The others, I'm telling you, we are not in neutral territory. If we were just, if it was just us and the Lord trying to explain these things, that would be one thing. But we have a kingdom of darkness that does not want the mission of God to be fulfilled. And so we see the evidence of this, even in this text, at the very beginning of the launching of the ministry of the disciples, the message comes and I believe the enemy gets in there and just tells those men that are listening, ah, don't listen to them. You know, don't, don't, don't pay attention to them. It wouldn't have mattered if it was a woman or a man coming and bringing the message that day. There was a temptation to think, well, if I didn't hear it first, if I didn't see it, then I'm not going to believe And do you see how rejection could have gotten in there? Do you see how disunity could have gotten in there? The enemy wants to keep us apart. He wants to destroy unity. He wants to take us off of mission, make us fearful, so that we won't go on mission for the Lord. And so we have to be very, very aware of how we respond and um, take every thought captive. I want to ask you today a really pointed question. And I'm getting personal with people today because the Lord's getting personal. And he's saying, is Jesus your hope? 
Is Jesus your hope? Because think of a situation. I bet most of us can think of a situation that's bewildering, that doesn't make sense, that's maybe hurtful. You're coming up against a challenge or a difficulty. And I want to ask you today, and the Lord asks you, is Jesus your hope? When you're wondering what is going on, what is going on in my circumstance, and where is Jesus? Are you wondering this like the women who were expecting a dead Jesus and having fear and anxiety? Or are you looking at your circumstances and trusting in God's promises and his word? And even though you don't understand how it's all going to work out, do you believe and have faith that God, who is loving and good and has good purposes for your life, is working? Even if you don't understand it, do you believe that he's working? And so I want to tell you, I listened to the family prayer and I wrote some things down. You said these things publicly in prayer, and so I want to just expound on this a bit. What do we do when we face physical pain? What do we do when we face medical issues? Are we facing this with fear? Or are we facing this with faith? Do we know that God's word says that even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Are we walking in fear or faith when we have pressures? We have pressures. There's so many people that are hurting, and we feel this pressure for them. And we start to take that on maybe ourselves, and we're thinking, what's going on here? And where is Jesus? And we maybe even start to try to take his role. And all of a sudden, God's word comes, and it says, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And so if you're starting to walk around with heaviness because of the things that you hear and the people and the distraught of the neighborhood or your family members, if you're walking around with heaviness, are you hanging on, Erica, are you hanging on to the truth that his yoke is easy and his burden is light? You don't have to carry it all. Are you turning to Jesus? What about relationship pain? What about when we're lonely? What about that? How are we responding? Are we expecting that Jesus is not, maybe we wouldn't say dead Jesus, but remove Jesus, he's not working? Or is he working in this? What do we do with relationship pain? Are we turning to him who says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And are we filled In Jesus, is he enough? Is is our hope really in him or has our hope transferred to somebody else? Sometimes he allows us to go through these hard things to evaluate how we're doing. What about when we've returned to sin? What about that? When we look at that situation and we've returned back to sin, Are we just taking that stinking thinking and saying, well, I've blown it, and so I may as well just keep blowing it? Or are we saying, no, Jesus died for that sin, but he's given me the Holy Spirit to guide me. And so I can ask him for help because Scripture says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. If he allows this temptation, he'll provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. 
You do not have to give back into sin. But are you allowing the promises of God to lead you? Are you allowing your own thoughts or even lies that you believe to think, I could never change. This pattern is too bad. It's too ingrained in me. Jesus is inviting us, church, to face every situation, every situation with faith in his promises. Fear tries to grip. It tries to suffocate. It tries to come and make us not fulfill our mission. It makes us want to run from our mission. The enemy was trying to suffocate. It was trying to quench out this mission. Jesus came that we might have life and have it to the full. Why? So that we could go and make disciples. And we sang about that. That's why he came. So that we could have a renewed life and a renewed mission. And he wants each of us to walk in the fullness of his love, the fullness of his hope, the fullness of the power of the beautiful and wonderful and powerful name of Jesus because that same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. And he helps us to forgive. He helps us to love. He helps us to have wisdom in knowing how to move forward. And so in this Advent, in this season of longing and recognizing the brokenness and the pain and the need, the most glorious thing we can do is to look to Jesus, that one who was raised from the dead and resurrects hope in each of us this morning. Amen.